Hello and welcome to another episode of The Advantage. I am your host, Michael Fiddle. Today is Wednesday, November 1st. And on today's show, we are doing the first full slate breakdown of the NBA season. And then we're going to be taking that information and going to tackle the DFS space. It is like nearly 1.30 in the morning in California as I start to record this. But whether you're listening on the pod, watching on YouTube, I'm sure you could see it in my eyes, hear it in my voice. I am jacked up. I am energized. I am rearing to go. You can make an NBA pun and say I'm giddier than Joshua to be talking about NBA basketball, doing a slate breakdown. So let's get this thing going. I'm the type to get shit done. You the type to observe. March Madness on my speakers, but today's November 23rd. Cause I'm loud in the blunt, yeah. I don't say what I want, yeah. Probably somewhere sunny in 10. Foreign women in the sun, yeah. That's all that I need. All right, everybody, welcome in. Like I said, today is Wednesday, November 1st. We are doing a full slate breakdown for gambling angles for nearly all of these NBA games, then talking the DFS space. But before I get started, I want to do a little housekeeping. But I'm going to keep the energy up because I'm really excited for this first announcement that I'm now created a private DraftKings league for people who listen to the advantage, who are part of the fantasy basketball international community, or subscribe to my newsletter or my Twitter. So there is going to be a $1 contest to bring this community together that we have so lovely created. Whether or not, or wherever you are hearing this information, you are invited to a private $1 Wacky Wednesdays. There's always a large Wednesday slate going on in basketball. So weekly, throughout the season, I will have a DFS contest specific to us as a group. I would love to get a regular... 15, 20 people competing against each other. I think we could have a really great time. You could sign up for the league. You can then join on any week that you want. They're generally going to be $1 contests. Maybe if we get some great excitement, we'll jack it up one week and go 10 bucks or something. Which brings me to my next point. Make sure you are following me on all socials on Twitter at FiddlesPicks. Sign up for my free newsletter, the FiddlesPicks Substack. You go to fiddlespicks.substack.com, or you could just click the link in my bio on my Twitter. I'll try and link it in this video as well. And then, of course, this video is brought to you guys by Fantasy Basketball International. Make sure you check out their YouTube page. Make sure you check out their podcast channel. Make sure you listen to all of their other fantasy basketball analysts to help you dominate the space and even join their Discord where it is loaded with tons of other fantasy basketball players who really know their shit and might be competing against us in this DFS contest as we start running weekly. So like I said, today is a full slate breakdown. We're about to get into it, but I do want to say one thing as a quick disclaimer. This is the first slate breakdown that we've done at the start of this season. There's been NFL ones, there's been a gazillion NBA ones last season, and NFL ones last season. Particular to this NBA season, this is the first full slate breakdown that we've done on the pod or on the FBI YouTube channel. For that reason, we have an influx of new listeners. 
Shout out to the new listeners for being here. And of course, to my OGs who are still tuning in, you guys know I love you the most. We are going to work through this board slowly, and we are going to go over some of the gambling basics and use these games to really hammer home one specific point. So I went through this board in preparation to this pod. It's actually very rare that I prepare for a slate breakdown pod. I actually love to just do these on the fly and just talk about what I'm seeing live as I look at it. This time I actually kind of prepared for a little bit and I wrote down one key bullet point for each game. That's more of a concept that I want to explain and help us build the basics of NBA gambling. So I've even learned how to share my screen so that you guys can see this. Watch this. Boom. Share this screen. Boom. I just put it on the YouTube channel. This is the live odds for FanDuel. So as we work through this game or these games, I will show you exactly what's happening. I could switch around and show you other tabs as well. So let's start with this Portland Trailblazers visiting the Detroit Pistons. The line is priced at Detroit Pistons minus four, Portland Trailblazers plus four, and the over-under is set at 214. Now, the bullet point and the thing that I wanted to talk about for this game is just understanding sometimes you get a pretty flat market that is correctly priced. These This line opened at either four or 3.5 at nearly every book. There's been moments where each has flashed back and forth to kind of just even out. So if you have one book that's opening at plus four and you have another book that's opening at plus minus 3.5, then the simple basics of this and understanding that the way a sports book operates is that they want to get even money on both sides of the line. So that way the losers pay the winners. And then the winners pay a winning tax that the sports book uses as their profit. That's what they call the VIG. Uh, that's why you pay minus 110 to win 100. That is a winning tax. So, but the basic premise of this is, is that if one book opens at plus four and another book opens at plus minus 3.5, then the money is going to come in for betters who want the, the, the favorite on the site that has a minus 3.5 and people who want the underdog are going to bet the plus four. So two operators with two different lines might take in very different handles on the lines because they're offering the better number. So simply they're either going to reverse to start taking money the other way, or they're just going to reach the other one and match what the other rest of the market is so that it becomes flat, there's not really value, and bettors aren't picking off one particular spot and betting heavily into that. So that's really what we've seen for this Trailblazers-Pistons game. If anything, we could say there's slight movement toward the Trailblazers side. I don't think anyone listening to this pod who's watching NBA basketball this season wants to back the Portland Trailblazers right now. And honestly, I don't know if we want to fade the Detroit Pistons at home. They look like a young and upcoming team. Their young pieces are proven to be really good. So in this battle of two youth and likely lottery teams again this season, I don't know if we want to play into the road youth uh, underdog right now. I don't know if we want to play into a flat market. You have to have a real strong basketball opinion on this game, especially the total two. Just almost no movement. Bouncing between 214.5 and 214, 
There's no real value to be gained here. There's nothing coming that's going to be a big news drop. None of these teams are potentially resting a star player on the front or back end of a back-to-back set. This is really just a straightforward, flat market. And sometimes you just recognize this is a correctly priced game. And for that reason, I don't want to have any bets unless I have a strong basketball opinion. There's very little to be learned from what the sports book is telling us as a marketplace. Now, let's take that exact thought and bring it to Bucks Raptors. I know that was a boring one to start with, but we started with it because it's at the top of the board. So blame Fandle, not me. Now let's talk about this Raptors Bucks. This line opened, and I'll always cite the opening line because that is our starting reference point to understanding line movement. Where did the line open? Where did the money start to come in? And where is that causing the line to move around in a general marketplace? This is a supply and demand. This is a uh, even out the handles. This is generally those things, unless you find a few weird spots like this Raptors-Bucks game is starting to present. So the opening line for this game was Bucks minus six right here. It would have been minus six instead of minus five. And it would have been Raptors plus six instead of plus five. Then I click the stats. You can see this button that says stats right here. And it brings down, it tells you, you know, what these teams have done against the spread, the money line, the over-under, how they've done in their last five games. But what I really value are these two little circular charts right here which tells you the amount of bets on the spread. This is about ticket volume, the amount of total bets placed, and then the amount of money on the spread. So there could be two different bets placed, one for $10 and one for $100, and that's 50-50 on the bets, but obviously the money would be 90-10, right? Or 91.91 if we're going to get really critical with our numbers right now. Anyways, so... When I see this, and I'm looking at this game in particular, and I see percentage of the bets on the spread, 85% Milwaukee, percentage of money on the spread, 85% Milwaukee, you would anticipate with that much money coming in on the Bucks that it would either stay at minus 6 or move to minus 6.5 or minus 7. Now, excuse my French, but why the fuck would it then go to Toronto Raptors plus five? Why would that happen? Why would the sports books start to invite more money on the Milwaukee Bucks, right? Let's evaluate that sentence. Are the the sports books, in this case, FanDuel, inviting more money on the Bucks? The answer is yes, because they already know 85% of the bets are already on the Bucks. And they just made the line easier. It will be easier for the Bucks to cover a minus five instead of a minus six. That should be relatively simple and easy and straightforward to explain. The Bucks win by six. They cover the first bet. They push on the second. So it is easier to win a minus five. You will always cover your minus five in any scenario that you also cover a minus six. So they are making it easier to back the Milwaukee Bucks, despite the fact that the majority of money is coming in on that side. Now, this is happening as I start to answer the why the fuck. 
is two reasons. One, there could be a news drop that causes the book to reposition and reprice the line based on new information. In this case, is Chris Middleton going to be sitting? Is Dame or Giannis suddenly questionable? Is Brooke Lopez going on the wrong side of doubtful? I don't, those things are not happening. I was just speaking in conjecture. The second option is this is an example of reverse line movement. We call it RLM. It is one of our favorite indicators in the sports market to understand where a best bet should be placed. So what is happening with reverse line movement is that the book is actually willing to gamble here and play against the public. That is generally what the sentiment that you see with reverse line movement. They are saying, give us your bucks money. We want to take your bucks money. We want to gamble against you. And the sports book, in this case, FanDuel, is backing the Raptors by making it plus five and accepting such a big handle on the buck side. FanDuel's walking into this game tomorrow. In the north, shout out, Drizzy Courtside, saying, we really freaking want the Toronto Raptors to cover a six, to cover a five, because we're going to have drastically more of our handle on the buck side. So when I see this as a better, when I see this as someone who values and comes onto these podcasts to explain to you what's happening in the sports market, not what's happening in my brain as I watch basketball. Yes, I'm a basketball fan. Yes, we'll get to that in one second. But that's not the reason to place a smart wager. The reason to place a smart wager is to evaluate what's happening in the market. Understand that in this spot, there's reverse line movement happening, which means the sportsbook is taking the position of the Raptors, which means if I was going to bet this game, it would be Raptors or nothing. that make sense? I want to be on the same side as the sports book because there's a reason why FanDuel has enough money to run halftime ads at the Super Bowl. Because generally the public loses. So if you can see in our information a clear book versus public spot, then you want to be on side of book. This is why Caesars exists in Vegas with its luxury fountains and five-star restaurants and valet parking and, and 30 stories of hotels with rooftop pools and live DJs. Because the sports books generally win, so if you see them gamble, you want to gamble with them. You don't want to gamble against them. You want to join their position and take on the other schmucks in the market who are backing the Bucks. Now this will get me to my second point. I do have a sports opinion. I do. Like, I do watch a lot of basketball. I'm obsessed with the game. And I do have a sports opinion. And I understand the Raptors' defense looks really good this season, so maybe that's the incentive that they think they would keep this thing close. I also know that the, the Bucks coach just came from the Toronto Raptors organization with a lot of its similar core players. So if he's going to know a way to attack that roster for its weaknesses, he's going to tell his new team. 
So there are certain factors here where I actually don't want to back the Toronto Raptors. I feel that the Raptors kind of a sinking ship this season. I feel like they're going down even though they're way up north. I think the Milwaukee Bucks are just going to take time to gel, but the amount of talent on their team is just going to be enough to overwhelm some of their opponents. It's just some nights they're just going to be on. It's going to be a disaster for the other side. So in this spot, I don't want to back the Raptors. I just said this game is bet or nothing, bet Raptors or nothing. I believe that wholeheartedly. So for me, it's nothing, which that was a lot of time to talk about something that resulted in no bet. But I hope you enjoyed starting to understand what's happening in the gambling market and to contextualize line movement in terms of creating a best bet or deciding even to stay away. That's another thing I'll talk about. Let me touch on that point real quick. You'll hear me say this a lot. One power that we have as bettors is that we do not have to bet every game. The sports book has to price every game. And in having to price all of these lines, over-unders, spreads, darts, cycling, cricket, boxing, basketball, baseball, ice hockey, lacrosse, MMA, motorsports. Should I shut up? You know they're pricing a ton. NBA finals, awards, conference divisions. Let's not even bother to open up a props market and look at player points, player threes, player defense, player combos, total rebounds, player to score first basket, uh, first quarter spread, money line spread, second half. It's insanity. So the power that we have as a better is that we can pick and choose our spots and inevitably the book is going to leave themselves with some mispriced lines that we can bet into. So for this game, what we were learning is that it was Raptors or nothing, and then we use our brain to choose nothing. Let's go over to Pelicans at the Thunder. And this is one where I'm just early season fading a team that's super banged up. We know that the Pels are missing Murph. They're missing Alvarado. I'd say Brandon Ingram is on the wrong side of questionable. And we could even use the sports book and the sports market to even indicate what's going to happen with player injuries. Now, Brandon Ingram was ruled out of his last contest against the Warriors at home with a knee injury about an hour before tip. And everyone thought, oh, is that rest on the second night of the back-to-back? It's only the third game of the season. It's a home game. What are they doing? Brandon Ingram was proceeded to have an MRI. And his head coach, Willie Green, was asked about it today at practice. I watched the video. Willie Green said nothing concerning, but he'll be questionable for tomorrow. Now, using my brain, using my knowledge of what happens in these instances, normally when a player has to have an MRI, they're generally not on the court the next day despite the nothing concerning. That's like next week. That's like let him get back to a practice and get through a little rehab and we'll get him back halfway through the road trip or when we get back home from our in, for our next homestand. Pelicans travel to Thunder. Line opens at Thunder minus three. That was, ve- with Ingram, very questionable. Then we hear this Willie Green news. We start to see 3.5 start to pop up. So I do some line shopping. When I see 3.5s popping up all over the board, when I see Brandon Ingram maybe on the doubtful side, although listed as questionable, and I see a few remaining minus threes, I grab a minus three. 
I'm grabbing a, a good number. I'm grabbing the opening line. I'm watching the movement happen, and I'm obtaining what's going to be closing line value. By the time this game tips off, the, I'm expecting Brandon Ingram is ruled out. This spread moves to close to five and a half, and I'm looking at Oklahoma City minus five and a half while I'm holding a minus three ticket. And I'm paying the same minus 110 for it. Now, you can see how value that, that would be. And the value is obtained with closing line value, CLV. We talked about RLM. Now let's talk about CLV, another three of our favorite letters in sports betting. And that's the sign of a good bet, in my opinion. If you're tracking line movement, trying to beat these lines, then inherently, if I'm paying minus 110 for a line, we're getting some gambling nerd math. If I'm paying minus 110 for a line, then I'm paying for a 52.38% implied probability. Now, that is not the anticipated hit rate. That is the hit rate needed to break even if I just only bet minus 110. So if I only bet minus 110s ever, I would need to clear 52.38 to be profitable. If I landed 52.38, I'm break even. And if I'm below it, then I'm eating some loss. So if I grab a minus three at 52.3 or my paying minus 110. And then the line moves to minus five and a half. And I've obtained the winning numbers of four and five. And then I know the outcome frequencies based on how often these numbers happen. And I talk about key numbers in the NBA. I talk about seven. I talk about five. I talk about six and eight. In that order, those are the four most common outcomes in NBA games. Let me say that again. I talk about seven. I talk about five. I talk about six. And I talk about eight. Those are the four most common outcomes in order for NBA games. So for that reason, if I'm obtaining a minus three, and I'm expecting this to move out to minus 5.5, I would obtain the second most common outcome in NBA games. And trust me when I say four isn't that much further outside the top five, probably six or seventh. I don't have it right up in front of me, but it's damn close to it. Uh, so you're getting two very frequent outcomes that might happen 5% of the time on each of them. There are exact numbers for this. That is part of my secret sauce that I probably can't give away on the first episode. But not only are there you can easily look up how often a NBA game lands in five. There's this little added bonus that a game priced at five is more likely to land at five. A game priced at three is more likely to land on five than a game priced at 11.5, like you see right here on the screen, Boston Celtics Pacers. This Pelicans Thunder game is more likely to land at four or five than, the, than, than these two games because of the point spreads. So there's some added bonuses even to our expected outcome probabilities. And then you combine those percent percentages that you're obtaining with closing line value to your 50% because 50% is what the live lines have. Like I'd say this Pacers plus 11.5 is a 50-50 chance right now, despite paying 52.38. So whatever the live lines ends up being, if it's actually ends at minus 5.5 for this Thunder game, like I'm projecting, 
then that 5.5 at tip will have a 50-50 chance of winning. I will have paid 52.38 for a minus three. I will have obtained a five and a four as two additional wins. I will know those are generally around 5% outcome probabilities. So then I'm have a 60% chance while paying 52.38. Now that was a very basic and completely convoluted way to explain the percentages relative to these numbers, but you should get the basic principles. A bet with plus EV, all the nerds say it in sports gambling, positive expected value means that the anticipated hit rate for my bet exceeds the implied probability of the odds that I paid. So because of expecting and a very important news drop to happen in Oklahoma City, move uh, the Pelicans ruling out Brandon Ingram on the road in OKC, I expect this line to move another full point and a half or two points. And that was my reason to bet it. Through key numbers, impending news drop, grabbing the right side while I can now. If BI does decide to play, I think this line goes back to three, maybe two and a half. Maybe it goes half a point against me, but I have so much more wiggle room to gain on the other side of this possible report. Let's talk about Nick's Cavaliers quickly. Uh, I have no bets here. I'll start off with that. By the way, OKC minus three was the best bet. That's all so far. Uh, Nick's Cavaliers is a game also I have no best bet. It is the second game these teams are playing back-to-back. So the point and the bullet point that I set up for this game was to explain what generally happens when we see this new home-and-home start to develop in the NBA, where teams are starting to play each other on back-to-back games. Uh, We'll see it a lot. It is just an effort to reduce travel. You see a, a situation like Cleveland and the Knicks. They played in Cleveland. They play back against the Knicks. Easy travel spots low maintenance, play against each other. Sometimes we'll even see them do it in the same arena. You'll often very much see it for uh, staying in like the same city. So like the San Antonio Spurs and the Houston Rockets will do it. The Mavericks and the Rockets, the Lakers and the Warriors. Some of these closer cities will do the home and home. I'm sure the 76ers in Boston might do something like that. So the first one that we're seeing as we start to bet into these things is Cavaliers now at the Knicks. Of course, they just played in Cleveland, and the Knicks, I don't know what the final score was, but it was, the Knicks were up like 20 the last time I looked at that game. Um, we had Jared Allen. We had Garland out. We had Levert out. Uh, we had Donovan Mitchell and Mobley playing. I got a text from a friend who said, it's really sad that Mobley can't step up as a number two. The Knicks just really match up well against this Cleveland team. I think they each have each other circled on the calendar after last season's playoff series. You kind of always come into the next year with your previous playoff opponent circle. That's true universally to all sports. Uh, So we just saw how much better the Knicks looked. And now the Knicks go home. And they just won by 20, so shouldn't they cover a minus seven? That's not the correct way to look at it. The point that I wanted to make is generally when we see these home and homes, you see a split. You see a team take one and one against each other. Knicks take the night off a little accidental. Cavaliers come out hungry because they don't want to drop two against the same team. 
especially in Division One, especially one that they should be fighting around playoff seating, especially one that might be the make or break difference in home court advantage again, as this was the four or five series last year. So I would expect the Cavs to come out hungry. And because of that betting precedent, I would say this either Cavaliers or no bet. Getting it at the plus 6.5, let's check the splits real quick. We're seeing 56% of the bets but on Cleveland, 58% of the money on the Knicks. So clearly big money tickets coming in on the Knicks right now. Let me pull up another screen for you guys and share this screen. Hold on one second. This is VSIN, which is the betting splits for DraftKings, where you could see the percentage of bets, the percentage of handle on the spread. We come down to Knicks Cavaliers, 51% of the bets, 73% of the money. So betting splits starting to suggest that the Knicks to be the smart side. The market's not moving much. The market's staying firm at that plus 6.5. So are they books saying, We'll stay at this 6.5 and we'll take your Knicks money. Is the books eventually going to move out to seven because the handle hasn't come in enough or no sharp bunnies could really come in and slam the line with a massive bet. But either way, uh, not a sign that I just want to go take the, the Cavaliers right now. I, I would lean towards Cavaliers being the right side for this game, but this line looks like it could move to seven, but also could see some reverse line movement coming in. But the bigger bets are on the Knicks. So it's a stay away from me now. Let's talk about the Pacers versus Celtics. And the point that we're going to make for this one is evaluating matchups. Starting to understand, the peel back the layers of what ha might happen in some of these games. So get into some advanced statistics. Wonder about some of the play styles as these teams come up against one another. We, we talk about this in football a lot where one defense might be really good against 11 personnel and they might be playing against the Minnesota Vikings that week who run 95% of their offense out of those formations. So you say, okay, big advantage to the defense here because, you know, they haven't played that many 11 personnel teams previously, but that they have the grade A success rate against it. So they're going to be very successful against this Minnesota team. We start to evaluate matchups. So let's do that for Pacers Celtics. Now I would say if I asked, the common basketball fan or even an advanced basketball fan who would happen to know these things. Tell me about the way the Celtics play offense. Tell me about the way the Pacers play offense. The guy who answers the Celtics question is going to say they try and shoot as many threes as possible. And they try and make 20 to 25 threes on a given night and shoot 40 of them and shoot 40, shoot 50 of them, make 20, shoot 40% from three. They had that crazy stat last year where they were like 35 and two in the games where they shot 40%, but like 20 and 20 in the other ones. Then you ask about the Indiana Pacers. You say, what have the Indiana Pacers done under Rick Carlisle? And it's been, oh, pace, 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 blazing fast pace, surround Halliburton with shooters and get up the rock and get in as many possessions as possible and try and outrun and outgun your opponent. So when you combine those two factors, you would say, oh, there's probably going to be a ton of scoring in this game. It's probably going to be a pace up spot where you want to play into the over. Well, that is certainly already priced in to the line. We look at this Knicks Cavaliers game. It's 211.5. We look at Pacers Boston. It's 231 and a half. It's already a really high line. So this 
basics of play style, you have to understand that is pretty much very much already priced in to the current line. I would lean towards the under because if you're starting to understand some specifics about matchup, I would also say it's probably very, very rare that people know that both of these teams, the Pacers and the Celtics, rank top 10 in three-point defense. So both of these teams that prioritize getting so much of their offense from the three-point line are now going against teams that are so good and prioritize closing out hard and running you off the three-point line. It is going to lead to more turnovers. It is going to lead to less efficient play. And it, for me, it probably leads to an underspot. So I am have not bet it yet. I really think I eventually will. Notice I logged, I logged out so you schmucks couldn't see my account balance on FanDuel. I think I'm going to bet this under. But I have not done it yet. I am waiting for some other movement or some market indicators or learning the splits. Let's see if VEASAN has, has put it up yet. So they're starting to get most of their bets towards the over, which is a good sign for me. I want to see that line tick down a little bit so I know it's setting up as a classic reverse line movement, sharps versus squares, pacers versus Celtics, under spot is what I'm really looking at. Uh, let's talk about the Hawks versus the Wizards. This is going to be a talking about exposure and then also being on the wrong side of the line. So let's talk about exposure first. Exposure is the amount of money that you're betting on a specific line. So uh, one unit, half a unit, three quarters of a unit, slam it for a three unit max bet. We got one of those on the slate. We'll get to it soon. Uh, the re- Most of my bets are one unit. That would be standard. My unit is 1.2% of my overall bankroll. I subscribe to the idea that one unit is one between one and 2% of your bankroll. And if it's anything more than that, you're just actually betting more than one unit and you have incorrect bankroll management. So check yourself when you have that account balance up here, divide it by 100. And then that should be your bank. That should be your average bet size. Most people bet way too much given their bankroll. And then I really tell them, well, then you're, you know, you're, you're betting with an anticipated bankroll of X. So most people have say a hundred dollars in their account, bet $5 a bet. And they're betting 5% that their, their real anticipated bankroll is $500. I'm convinced that that person, once they potentially lose all five off the first 100 are just putting in another 100 and sticking with it. So uh, for me, a unit is between one and 2%. For me, it is 1.2%. Notice the difference between those two things. And this Hawks wizards is an opportunity to talk about reduced exposure based on the numbers. So notice I talked before that the four most important numbers in the NBA, were that five, seven, six, and eight. When I first bet this game, and I already bet it, it was Hawks minus eight. And I was starting to see some Hawks minus 8.5 start to show up on the board. So I wanted to grab that eight. The Hawks have looked really good. They're playing really fast. They just blew out 
the Bucks on the road. Now they come home and they take on the lowly Wizards. Really, like, even with Poole and Tyus Jones and Kuzma and Gafford and having some veteran presence, I thought they could be, like, kind of Utah Jazz-esque. Like, everyone counted us out, but we're actually kind of feisty. Hard the other way. This Wizards team sucks. Uh, so, Hawks minus eight was an original bet that I wanted, but I only bet it for three quarters of a unit because I knew that if I was obtaining good closing line value, if this line was to move to 8.5 to 9 to maybe 9.5, the numbers that I was crossing were not as important. They don't have ex the same expected outcome frequencies. And therefore, when I look back and I calculate my positive expected value, like I was talking about before for that thunder spot, it's inherently going to be less valuable of a line because the movement is less valuable. And therefore, I wanted to not bet as much money. We should bet our biggest money into the spots that have the most value. That should be another pretty self-explanatory statement. Okay, so I bet Hawks minus seven, uh, minus eight, and now it's at seven point five. So what if what do you do if you're on the wrong side of a line? What do you do when the line is starting to move against you? The, in the for me, in the answer in the NBA is just nothing. You just stop betting it. You step away and you say, "I hope for variance to play out in my favor." I understand the market signals are probably showing Washington plus eight to be the right side, the more likely side to cover, probably has a 55% chance outcome. I'm on the 45% chance side. That's okay. 45% chance will still happen. You know, that's not that infrequent. Flip a coin, you might get it on your side. Like, I know flip a coin's 50-50. You guys get what I'm saying. A 45% chance isn't that unlikely to happen. So you don't want to do something stupid and just immediately bet the other side or accept the cash out for reduced value or start panicking. You just want to say, okay, for this one, I'm on the wrong side. I'm going to hope it actually plays out in my favor and I get kind of lucky, but I'm not going to double down and make another wrong math decision because the math here is not in my favor. I'm going to let it ride and just let it stay. That is very specific to NBA because there is more variance in this game. These outcome frequencies are a lot less than a thing like football. You have 238 total points scored. You have 110 possessions in a game. And you have scorings of ones, twos, and threes. Where in football, you have scorings of threes, ones, threes, and sixes. And each team has like seven possessions. So the outcome frequencies are going to be way more common in football than they are in, in NBA. NBA, the ranges can be so much, and the math shows that. The, the data shows that these outcome frequencies are more random in the NBA. It's not, it's not abnormal for an NBA game to land anywhere from 185 total point score to 260. You don't get that kind of variance in the NFL. Um I'm going to skip this Nets Heat game. I got nothing to talk about there. I have a best bet on the Charlotte Hornets plus 2.5. I was just reading the market signs. I've watched the Hornets. I've watched the Rockets. I mean, I watch way too much NBA basketball. 
And my immediate thought was, whoa, I actually think this Hornets team's kind of dangerous. And my second thought is, this Rockets team is not understanding Ime Adoka's defensive system. They're going to be kind of that Celtics first year team where it's going to take a while to gel. And I don't even know if January is going to be Ime season again because it might take this Rockets team even longer. They certainly don't have the experience that those Celtics players did. So I think I love Ime as a coach. I think it's great that he brought in some great veterans. I know they're playing at home and I don't really want to. It's it's tough to back a young Charlotte team on the road in H-Town. I mean, I, I would think they're going out the night before or the night after this game and looking forward to it. So it might be kind of a trap spot. But if you grab a 2.5 and now it's at 1.5, you know you're on the, the good side of this line of obtained some value. Let's talk about the Denver Nuggets. I grabbed them minus three, now out to minus 3.5. I don't think this is going to move very far at all. I actually think it might think it might start to come back the other way. So I'm considering just grabbing some 3.5 and buying off this a little bit. With a positive middle, you can you can buy off and play back. You never do it with a negative middle. If I start to play back the Minnesota Timberwolves at plus 3.5, then I automatically win one, lose one, or win both, or I couldn't win both, but I could push one, win one. There is no situation where I could lose both bets with a positive middle, minus three on one side, plus 3.5 on the other. If you come up with an outcome situation where I lose both of that those bets, please let me know. That would be news to me. Um, so for that, you can buy off of it and just go the other way. The reason why I don't think this line is going to move that far or if anything start to go the other direction is because these two teams played each other in the playoffs last year, similar to Knicks Cavs. They're going to have this thing circled. But like I said for Knicks Cavs to the Knicks side, the Timberwolves actually played this Nuggets team really well. I think the Nuggets even said it after the 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 series after the season that they thought the Timberwolves were their hardest series. I think Carl Anthony Towns said what they did was more special than what the Nuggets did last season. I mean, someone's got someone's got a brain scan cat um, after that comment. Um, but this this Timberwolves team knows that you know they play Jokic tough. They play this 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 Nuggets team tough. So I don't think we're getting this line to minus 4.5 or minus 5. I think it's going to stay around 3, 3.5. Not too much value to be gained here. If you have a strong basketball opinion, you could play into it. Otherwise, stay away from me. Uh, Bulls Mavericks, I got nothing to say here from a betting perspective. I would just say that uh, Mavericks look really good. I don't know how real that is. Bulls don't look good at all. I also don't know how real that is. If I don't know how real either situation is, I'm not going to bet it. The Memphis Grizzlies take on the Utah Jazz. Memphis 0-4, but if you've been listening to The Advantage, you know I like the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm not jumping ship yet because they obviously don't have John Morant. But the way to play the Memphis Grizzlies has always been to back them in the first quarter. So what I want to talk about here is what do you do when you start to disagree with a line movement? Now, this line opened at... Jazz minus 1.5. It's now out to Jazz minus 3. We are starting to see 67% of the money, 56% of the spread on that Utah side. So what do you do when you disagree with it? You wait. There's no reason for me to bet Memphis plus 3 right now. 
because all of the indicators in the market, the movement, the trends, knowing that Utah is a tough travel place to play into. So the Grizzlies, who are generally home dominant, are going on the road to Utah, a tough place to play, and it's moving that way, and the Grizzlies haven't won a game. There's no reason I need to bet the Grizzlies yet. Let's see if this goes to 3.5. Let's see if this goes to 4. Let's see how far the Grizzlies line moves to get some value on that side and then play it back right before tip. So when we talk about timing the market and getting the best number possible. Now, if I start to see 2.5 start to pop up at other books, then maybe I come grab a plus three right away. What I think I want to do, let's see if we can get into this. More wagers, first quarter. So we don't have the first quarter money line and spread. What I would be looking for is Memphis Grizzlies money line plus money for a first quarter. If they're plus 124 for a game, they'll probably be plus 112, plus 110 for a first quarter spread. I like that. I like backing this Memphis team to know that they have to come out really hungry. And then if playing in Utah is a little altitude situation, then you get tired as the game progresses. You get winded. So maybe you get, you know, the fourth quarters where they come back on you. So I like the idea of when I disagree with the market to wait, 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 find the betting angle that I like, get at the best possible number and get in for, you know, you can get in for a little bit of exposure. Um, the Lakers taking on the Clippers is my max biggest bet of the day. It is three units for me. I always talk about a max bet being three units because even though I might love a line, I also talked about on this pod, there is a lot of variance in the NBA. These outcome frequencies are a little bit wild. So you can't ever overexpose yourself here. So if I'm doing three times my normal size bet, or if I'm doing four times the amount of bet that I have on that Hawks minus eight, then that's good enough for me. That is enough to plant my flag and say, I fucking love this line. And the line that I said I fucking love was Lakers minus 2.5. This also brings us back to that uh, Brandon Ingram Pelicans Thunder situation where I thought Ingram was going to sit. And I thought the value was going to be presented on backing the Thunder. I felt the same way for this Clippers taking on the Lakers. I watched the Clippers against the Magic tonight. I watched Ty Lue before the game be asked if Kawhi and Paul George would be available for the back-to-back tomorrow. This was before the game against the Magic even tipped off. And Ty's like, I don't know. I, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know. And you can just like, you can just see immediately that it's at least questionable. Kawhi probably on the wrong side of questionable. We'll see about PG. But even though the Clippers don't just traded four of their active players and now have eight NBA players, and then probably are calling up some G leaguers to round out the end of the bench. I don't think they're going to have Harden or PJ Tucker yet. I don't know if they're going to pass their physicals and then be activated already. Harden hasn't played once. I might be proved wrong. I'll talk about that in a second. But I always thought there was so much value to be gained on one side. If Paul George and Kawhi are ruled out for this hallway game, they call it a hallway game because they both play 
in crypto. The tunnel game. So they, they say the subway series for Yankees Mets because you could get to them. Was it the seven train? You call this the hallway because you could take the hallway between these two locker rooms. So the Lakers are technically the home team. So what does that mean? That means season ticket holders are going to go to the Lakers season ticket holders. The guy, Bill Simmons, who is a Clippers season ticket holder, not going to be in the building unless he finds some other way. I'm sure he can. Um, but anyways, it's going to be a Lakers building. It was going to be that probably anyways. And then you have the added caveat of Kawhi and Paul George, both very questionable. And then that line at 2.5 before there was any indication that they might be sitting or questionable. I heard Ty Lu say it live, and I immediately checked the odds. I pounced on the information in the market. I said, where are this Clippers priced right now? Let me fade them. Um, took the Lakers minus 2.5 because I thought to myself this. If Paul George and Kawhi are ruled out, then this line goes to Lakers minus 9.5. Seriously, that's where I think it goes. If Paul George and Kawhi are ruled in and they end up playing, this line still stays around Lakers minus two and a half. Maybe maybe Lakers minus two. Maybe Lakers minus one and a half. I don't think the Lakers will be home underdogs against the Clippers. I don't even think the Lakers are going to be home underdogs if Harden and P.J. Tucker end up activated and playing in their very first game. I don't think they're going to play a ton of minutes if they are activated already. So I thought if we were going to evaluate the scales of where this line movement might go, there was nine points of movement or eight points of movement to be had on one side and potentially one point of movement to be had against me. Now, that is so drastic that it's worth a three-unit max bet. I will figure it out later. I could easily play Clippers back plus five right now, have a two-and-a-half-point middle, and play it back for one unit and tilt my exposure two units towards the Lakers side. I will stay evaluating this market. I will wait for some injury news tomorrow morning. I will wait for the shoot-around reports and be following Clippers beat writers to be knowing Who's practicing at shoot-around? Is Kawhi even getting shots up, or does he just know he's not playing? If Kawhi's getting shots up and this line moves back to 4.5, then I play it back for a unit and a half the other way. Or even or even the whole thing, three units. And then what I'm doing is setting up myself a, a, a middle, which I'm paying a 5% implied probability for, three units on each side of the line, 3.3 to win three, having a positive middle, that means the most you could lose is three-tenths of a unit. You lose 3.3, you win three. You lose three-tenths of a unit. Your max winning is winning both of those bets. Six units, win three, win three. So if you have a max loss of three-tenths of a unit, you have a max win of six units, what you've set yourself up is a 20-to-1 situation where that equates to a 5% implied probability because if you were always betting 20-to-1s to to bring this full circle, then your implied probability is your break-even hit rate. You would need to hit your bet 5% of the time on 20-to-1 payout to break even. 
Should be simple math. I have nothing to talk about for Kings Warriors. We know De'Aaron Fox is out. The Warriors look fantastic in their home. We know this is a in-division playoff repeat budding rivalry in the NBA. Uh, Eileen, Warriors minus seven. I don't think there's enough information in the market to really get that worked up about it. And I know both of these things, both of these teams are going to come out really firing for this game because that's what they do against one another. Whether it's preseason with Steph making a game-winning three, whether it's already one of the first games where – who took it? Did the Warriors take that one in in the King visiting the Kings? I think so. My memory serves me right. All right, so I have no bets for that Kings game. Let's let's move on and talk about the DraftKings DFS board. So take a break if you need to. Grab some water. My water cup's already out. My voice is probably getting a little raspy. We are going to talk about the DraftKings DFS space. And let me start out by pointing up at the top DFS Wednesdays week two by M Fiddle 14. M Fiddle 14. I think you know who that is. Um, I am running a DraftKings weekly league. Let me repeat this for a $1 contest every Wednesday. So come play against me in DFS. And I think we'll have a really good time. All right. Let's go through the board for this slate. Uh, should we talk about spend ups? How should we break this down? I'm just going to go through some players that I really like and some situations that I really like, and then, uh, do it that way. Let's do it game by game. So this Boston, Indiana matchup is definitely one I'm going to want to target. I know I talked about playing the under, but it's still priced at 231.5 when the Knicks-Hawks is at 211. So I'm still going to want to play more into that price game. I still think there's going to be way more scoring in that one, even if I want to take the under. Um, The players that really stuck out to me for this uh, Pacers-Celtics game is Drew Holiday at 6,800. I think he's just way too underpriced. I think he's he's you know he's going to get thir- close to 35 minutes in this one. I think he's capable of putting up 40 on any given slate, and I think at that point, 6.8 potentially putting up 40 points, that's you know like a five and a half x on your multiplier. This is some weird DF, probably some nerd DFS terms. We should probably do a DFS strategy podcast before we get into all this. Drew Holiday was a name that I really, really like in that game. I would stay away from Halliburton because of the matchup situation. I I know he's a stat stuffer, but you're going to have to really pay up for it. So I'd rather pay up for a guy like, you know, Lonzo Ball in the same area. We're playing into Charlotte at Houston. That should be another high-paced game. Love the idea of a LaMelo Ball spend up. Luka at the top of the board is Kyrie Still on the wrong side. Of, he's questionable right now with his foot. He missed last game. If Luca's out, I mean, if Kyrie's out, then Luca's uh, volume share is just going to be so high. He played forty points. He played forty minutes last game. Thirty-five, twelve, and twelve triple double. He scored over seventy points on every single slate. That is like mind-boggling Jokic type stuff. Pretty wild to see Luca actually priced above him. Magic. I mean, Dallas Mavericks three and zero right now. Luca probably the 
favorite to win MVP. I mean, if the season ended today, he's the MVP. Uh, Jokic, you could always, 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 always play Nikola Jokic in DFS. But one thing that will slightly concern me is his last two games of only attempting 16 field goal attempts. We really like to see this 20-plus field goal attempts for him. We really like to see at least five threes. So if he's going to get that game one volume, you can go against it. He's playing against Gobert and Towns. So maybe not the best night to play into Jokic. But then again, he also might just get a ton of minutes and need to beat those guys up because he loves to beat up on Gobert. And Towns just definitely can't guard him. Uh, Giannis would be someone that I would avoid given that the Toronto defense has been proven to be really good. Potal. Siakam, OG Adenobi, just great front court defense for the Raptors guys. So that would be not the best place to play Giannis. You could even see the opponent ranked seventh against uh, power forward center position. So not ideal to spend up. Sabonis with Fox out, like is he asked to initiate a lot more of the offense in the game? Is he still grabbing a ton of rebounds? The one thing about playing someone against the Warriors who's a rebounder the Warriors play a lot of five-out spacing, especially now with Draymond back. They play a lot of small ball. That inherently is going to pull Sabonis away from the basket. So he's not going to have as many just off-the-rim, just easy grabs. Uh, SGA, I absolutely love SGA on tomorrow's slate. I absolutely love SGA on the slate. The okay, The Pelicans are without Murphy and without Alvarado. They're probably going to put Herb Jones on SGA. SGA is too shifty for a guy like Herb Jones. I think he'll get him into foul trouble. He's going to get to the line relentlessly. That's what this OKC team does. They space you out and then they drive on you. So he's going to be driving into the lane with Valanchunas and Zion. I think SGA potentially has himself a field day. Tatum in this matchup is going to be definitely a high value option. Like he's going to take nearly 20 shots. He's probably going to take eight, nine, 10 threes. He could take 11, 12 threes on a given game. Of course, DraftKings, I think those are three and a half points, those three bombs. So make sure you, you know, play into some three point specialists. I like that a lot. If a block is two points and a three pointer is three and a half points, then, then round out your team with some cheaper options with some three point specialists, especially in a DraftKings format. Uh, Talking about three-point specialists, I mean, this guy took third. He's taken at least ten every game. He's 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 averaging six makes six threes a game. You know who he is, fucking Steph Curry. Uh, obviously, don't play any of the guys who are just trending on the wrong side of their injury reports. LeBron is not a situation that I want because this early season minutes restriction is just you know you just don't know on the night they're going to try and keep him under thirty. I'm going to try and keep this not way too much long over an hour. We're going to do more DFS strategy stuff. Maybe we'll do that next week. We'll focus on it. Maybe I'll bring a guest on next week to do some DFS strategy and then break down a full board. Uh, Let me just quickly go over to the optimizer lineups and tell you who's being played by a lot of the optimizers who's way too cheap and is starting to emerge with some potential uh, value. A lot of Brandon Miller on the slate. He has looked fantastic, truly like a young Paul George, like he was uh, anticipated to be. Definitely seeing some Onyeka Okangu and Clint Capella. Uh, so wait, who are the Hawks playing? The Hawks are playing in that game that has a 238.5 total. 
against the I'm on the Hawks, the Wizards in that one. So yeah, expect a lot of rebound opportunity for a guy like uh, Capella or Kongwu. Kongwu's like in the three thousand nine hundred. That's a great cheap play. Let's see how much time he's getting. Twenty four minutes a night. If he's truly going to split the time with Capella, and he's putting up twenty five fantasy points, being four thousand dollars, he's over six xing his price tag. He's way too cheap. So you can pretty much lock in that I'm going to play him. Um, yeah, always pay attention to what's happening in the totals market in terms of anticipating a play. I also think there's not, I just looking over at the optimizer on a different screen right now. There's not too much similarities across the board. There's not like overly people playing into, you know, besides Okongwu being a bunch of places. We don't have that many early season injuries. I know that that's ironic considering the rest situations that have already popped up. But there's not that many, of course, the the Grizzly situation. But I think the Tillman is, is priced inappropriately. Yeah, Tillman's already over $6,000. Jaron would be someone I like, but he's 8300 So these early season injuries are probably priced in pretty appropriately. Look for late scratches. Look for, you know, if that Kawhi, Paul George situation, if they're actually out, like you're going straight to Westbrook. You're going straight to Bones Highland. You're going straight to Norm Powell. You're probably playing all of them. You're probably playing Plumley, Like literally all of them. Because they're going to, assuming Tucker and Harden, Kawhi and Paul George don't play tomorrow, you, you play basically every Clipper that's going to get 42 minutes that night in their cash game, like you literally go Westbrook. I'd probably skip Zub because Zub's he's just so matchup specific. He's just not going to get third. I'd go Plumley, Highland, Powell, all of them. And then see who, like maybe Amir Coffee too, 3,000. Yeah, you'd play Amir Coffee too. And then you'd have all your money left over for the other guys. So, that should wrap up our discussion. A lot of best bets that I went over. I will make sure that the full bet card is tweeted out in nice order with the exact unit exposure. But unless I specified it, it was one unit. I could do it real quick for you guys. It was Thunder minus three for a unit. It was Hawks minus eight for three quarters of a unit. It was Charlotte Hornets plus two and a half. For a full unit, it was Denver Nuggets minus three for a full unit. It was the Los Angeles Lakers minus two and a half for a max three unit bet. And the other spots that I was eyeing and I was sitting, waiting, wishing is Memphis Grizzlies potential first quarter and the Celtics Pacers under because I'm evaluating a matchup and thinking I see something. All right. I hope you enjoyed this discussion wraps up. I it's nearly 2:30 in the morning. How the fuck am I gonna go to sleep? All right, I gotta get to get bed. Thank you for listening. Please follow me on my socials. Subscribe to my newsletter. Follow the all the other experts at FBI. And as always, peace out. You just listened to another episode from the Fantasy Basketball International Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us. 
And for more information about joining our community, please check out our website at fbibasketball.com.